You're listening to the ESPN Radio 94.1 podcast page, accelerated by Sports Innovation X. Six is bridging the gap between tech, athletes, and teams. Check them out at sportsinnovationx.com. Sports talk with a side of movie quotes. I can't see nothing. Got to open my eye. Cut me, bitch. I want to do it. The Tim Donnelly Show on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. Jokic has it. It's Murray. Jokic on the run. He puts it away. Put him in the dunk contest. Nikola Jokic, the two-time MVP. Bally Sports call of a Nikola Jokic highlight in which even the broadcaster made a sarcastic joke about the fact that Nikola Jokic would never be in the dunk contest. That was not real. Uh, put him in the dunk contest was a joke because it's so obvious that that guy would never be in the dunk contest. He continues to be the non-highlight MVP. Meaning, and, I, and I've said this before, I'm not trying to be a hater, but oh, I guarantee you it's going to come across as hating. Uh, v- Nikola Jokic is the player to have 30-10-10, and 30-12-9, 37, 14, and 17, some crazy stat line. And when they do the highlights on like SportsCenter, they feel like they have to show a couple of his plays because the guy had 37, 14, and 12, and and they have no highlights to show. So they show him like catching it at the elbow, turning over his shoulder, and making a layup and go, Nikola Jokic settled for 37, 14, and 7. It's like, that's, that's not a highlight. This is a highlight show. Show me Jamal Murray. Sure, he only had 17 on 21 shots, but those 17 were spectacular. In the NBA, okay, we're talking about basketball, just so we're, we're aware. How could you possibly be a three-time MVP or even in the mix to be a three-time consecutive back-to-back-to-back MVP without making it to the Western Conference Finals during those three years. I mean, not being, make it to a final, just make it to a finals. There was a straw poll, meaning uh, they they polled all of the voters in, in MVP balloting and way out ahead, Nikola Jokic. Here's Tim Bontemps on NBA Today. What we need to know is that Nikola Jokic is almost certainly going to win MVP as long as he stays healthy. Wow. When you look at the, the way this played out with him getting 77 out of 100 first place votes, having over 900 point, total points in the poll, as you see here on the screen, he's a very heavy favorite to win. And given he never gets hurt, and given Denver is winning the West, and given he's averaging a triple-double for the season, I think it's going to take something pretty significant for this to change between now and the end of the year. What? In basketball, we're again, we're talking about basketball. There is an ability for one all-time great player to carry a team to certain successes. Now, I would say a run-of-the-mill great player would have a hard time, especially in this era, right? There's other super teams you're going to run into. I get it. But if you are the back-to-back-to-back MVP, you're not some run-of-the-mill okay great player. You are an all-timer. Right? There's another back-to-back MVP as of recent. His name is Giannis. Guess what he did? Took a team with Chris Middleton as his second-best player and won a championship. Guess what Nikola Jokic has done? He's flirted with making it almost to a finals. 
And that was before he was an MVP. He did make the Western Conference Finals before he was an MVP. Since he's been an MVP, I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's been a tough out in the second or first round, first or second round. He's, he's been put up a good fight against some teams that don't have back-to-back MVPs. Jokic is the non-highlight great player. I get it. And some of the advanced statistics love that guy. I get it. Again, not arguing against it. But but if his MVP case is largely based on statistics and he's doing something like averaging a triple-double without many great teammates around him, why are we not treating him like Russell Westbrook on, on the, the Thunder? Because Russell Westbrook did the triple-double thing, got an MVP, and then everybody went, wait a second, he's a stat patter. He's only doing it because he doesn't have great teammates and he's alone by himself out there and he's just out to get his stats. And then Russell Westbrook was never seen the same ever again. So we're coming to Nikola Jokic. He got his MVP. Again, Russell got one too, Westbrook. Uh, He got his MVP, and now everyone's going, whoa, he can do it again this year? I think it was four times Westbrook averaged a triple-double. Nikola Jokic is going to get an MVP this year because he's doing it once. What does Nikola Jokic have like over? Like, Does he have pictures of all the voters? What's going on here? His team, solid. They don't make it to the NBA Finals. They don't make it to the Western Conference Finals. They don't win championships, but solid. His teammates, not exactly stat hoarders that are making it difficult for him to have uh, you know, a ton of rebounds and assists and, and, and points. I, j- I just don't get it. Meanwhile, you look at some of the other all-time greats playing at the, at, at the moment. You look at the Giannis's of the world, and it's like well, Luka of the – like Luka was in a Western Conference Finals last year, and it's not like he had an all-star cast around him. You could actually pretty easily argue he had worse teammates around him than Jokic did. I think Luka should be in the MVP conference. Like, at least in the it's not shut down at this point in this. It's the all-star break. And and as you heard Tim Bontemps said, as long as Jokic doesn't get injured, it's almost certain he's going to be the MVP. Can we at least see what Luka does with the second half? Can we at least see what Joel Embiid does after he gets nine days off for the All-Star break? Can we at least see what Giannis does with the, with the, the Bucks or Tatum? Can we see what Tatum does? He makes it to the Eastern Conference Finals. He makes it to the Finals. We gave Yoka, Yoka, we gave Jokic. Yoka is Luka and Jokic mixed. How about that one? That's a player. That's a player, that's Tim. A, that's the best NBA player with a with a 12-inch vert we've ever seen. Um, we gave Jokic back-to-back MVPs. I believe he should have won. The first year, give it to him. The second year, I don't believe it was his. The third year, now we're just, we're just we're getting, getting crazy. We're just getting crazy at this point in time. I need more. I need, I need at least a conversation into the second half. Daniel in Virginia Beach has some thoughts on the NBA MVP here at the All-Star break. You can call in as well, 757-687-9494. Daniel, thanks for calling in. What's your take on the MVP race? Yeah, I know one game doesn't really mean anything, but when I watched Denver play Philadelphia early, uh, earlier this year in Philly, I mean, Embiid just pretty much took him to school. And I think, like I agree with you, 
Jokic maybe the first year, but Embiid should have got it last year. And I think Embiid or Jason Tatum, you know, those two should be the front runners. And he, to me, he should be a distant third, fourth, or fifth. He has no business even being in the top three as far as MVP, you know, MVP voting this year, in my opinion at all. I, I just, I don't, I don't see it. I mean, yeah, he brings good stats, but to me, Denver, they're probably a second round knockout. They'll probably get knocked out in the second round as well, you know, with Phoenix getting loaded and everything like that. So I just, I think Embiid or either Embiid or Jason Tatum, even maybe even Giannis. Those are my those are my top three guys as far as MVP voting. Jokic maybe fourth or fifth, not not even close for being a, a top a top you know top top year as far as MVP voting this year. Daniel, appreciate the call. Call back in any time seven five seven six eight seven nine four nine four. I was trying not to go too far down the the Joel Embiid is a better center than Jokic category because I know that I say it enough on air that you all know that I'm a Sixers fan. Uh, what I will say is Embiid is the type of personality when he plays Jokic, he gets up for it. The consistency might be the thing that Embiid doesn't have like Jokic. Jokic is good for like 30, 10, and 10 a game. That's that's his advantage over Embiid. But I don't think any like any true basketball fan, if you talk to him and you go, if you have one game and you have the two centers on opposite sides, one's Embiid, one's Jokic, who do you think is going to dominate the other when they're matched up, when they're defending each other, when they're they're in the post? Everyone's going to, well, Embiid. Why? Because he's bigger, taller, stronger, faster. Like, he's he's just a better basketball player, aside from the fact that Jokic has better stats. But again, give him one MVP. I think Jokic right now in his career should be a one-time MVP. And should be seen as like a perennial all-star, all-star starter, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but should be nowhere near doing something that LeBron has never done. Should be nowhere near doing something that like magic and and like there are all-time greats. Kobe has never done. Shaquille O'Neal has an MVP. He has one. Nikola Jokic is about to have back-to-back-to-back. I refuse to believe that's how it should be done. Go back to the call in line. Eric in Smithfield has a uh, a question about the MVP, so we'll we'll allow him to ask it. Eric, thanks for calling in. What do you have? Hey, what's going on, man? Great show as usual. Thank you. Um, so I think really, man, when it comes to the MVP, I think it it really comes down to what exactly are you expecting from an MVP? Is it the best player on the best team? Is it the best player for their respective team? Um, I mean, I, I can understand where stat hogs are looking at him and going, hey, he's a center, he's averaging a triple-double. I get that. That's an argument. But in my opinion, that this year, Jason Tatum has been the MVP because, like most years, an MVP is normally the guy that's the best player on the best team. But, I mean, if you're going to go with who's the most important player for their team, I mean, you can look at a guy like Jalen Brunson and what he's doing in New York, keeping them alive there. I mean, I am a homer. I'm a Knicks fan, but you know, I, th- I think it just depends on what you look for in a player in regards to an MVP, and what your, I guess you can say, your 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 line is for that MVP. So, um, great work as always, man. Keep up the good work. Thank you. And, and that is one of the questions that that gets asked about every MVP award ever, right? Is it the most valuable to your team? And that that always kind of sits with me the wrong way. Because then you're just looking for a top-heavy team, right? Like, if your team can survive without you for a game or two, you can't be the MVP. Like, Dame Lillard would be the MVP every year just because the Trailblazers stink when he's not in there. 
Like that's not saying that's not the true measure of the MVP, right? Imagine if the Cavs didn't have Donovan Mitchell this year. Some like that just means you're a top-heavy team. That doesn't mean you're you're like. Then if you're if you're a bad team, what you should do is just sit down your your best player once and score 12 points that game, and then turn around to everybody else and go, "See, he's the MVP. We average 12 points when he's not in the game." It's it's to me it is most valuable would be who would be the most valuable player on every team if you put them on there like if you put uh Jokic on one of these super teams eh. if you put Jason Tatum on one of these super teams eh, a little bit a little better but if you were to put like Giannis on any of these super teams he immediately becomes the driving force of the he's the most valuable in every kind of situation at least that's the way he definitely was when he was winning back-to-back MVPs. He also has two defensive player of the years. When when do you think Jokic is going to figure out that there's a there's a defensive side of the ball? Because if you average a bunch of points, a bunch of rebounds, a bunch of assists, that's great. I don't see many steals. There you go. Tim Donnelly Show, Priority Auto Sports Radio, 94.1. The Jokic stands never want to talk about defense. Never, not once. 757-687-9494 is the call in line and the text line. There's this little vibe. It's not even vibe. It's like a I don't like an insult going around Hollywood right now. It's called Nepo Baby. And it stands for somebody that only got to their level of fame because of nepotism. Might be sweeping into the NFL a little bit here and hitting the Giants locker room. I'll tell you how coming up. On the field, offense wins games and defense wins championships. On the Tim Donnelly Show, we break down both sides of the action. Touchdown! The Tim Donnelly Show on Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. Tim Donnelly Show, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. It's not a done-done deal, but just to keep you updated on the Eric Bieniemy Washington Commanders courtship, Adam Schefter tweets out, uh, about 12 minutes ago, Washington offered its offensive coordinator job to Chiefs OC Eric Bieniemy and is hoping to finalize a deal by Saturday per sources. In a bit of a insider battle, Ian Rappaport of the NFL Network tweets out, sources, the commanders and Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy are finalizing a deal for him to be their new offensive coordinator. Ron Rivera's first choice all along should be official tomorrow. So that's really wording saying, you know, both are saying, you know, tomorrow would be the day to finalize it. But, uh, but Ian Rappaport is saying it should be. And Adam Schefter is saying they're hoping to. You can trust who you want to trust. Uh, but it, that, that is where it stands at the moment. All that happening within the last, uh, roughly 15 minutes. So, um, take with that what you will. It is either should be finalized by tomorrow or they're hoping to have it finalized by tomorrow. Eric Bieniemy, offensive coordinator, Washington. Um, with that being said, uh, hiring in the NFL. Other news: Brian Dable was the coach of the year for the New York Giants this year. Uh, he took a team that was seemingly on the precipice of a complete and total rebuild, throwing their number six overall pick uh, quarterback Daniel Jones into the free market and moving on from from everybody. And he took them to the playoffs. And because of that, he was seen as a very, very successful coach this year. 
Well, for his second year, he's bringing in someone very familiar to his coaching staff, Brandon London of New York Post Sports. And fresh off winning coach of the year, the Giants have hired head coach Brian Dable's son, Christian, as an entry-level offensive assistant on the coaching staff, the Post has confirmed. Christian Dable was a student coach at Penn State for the last three and a half years and worked his way up to the responsibility of signaling in the plays. He signaled in the plays in college? Well, then he's definitely worthy of being an assistant coach at the NFL level. Uh, this rubs me the wrong way a bit. And and it's, it's something sweeping through Hollywood right now. They're calling it Nepo Babies. I'm not going to use that term, but that's what, like, if you're going to look up, there's articles about it. There's a big one uh, in the New Yorker about it. And it's, it's, are the best people being given the opportunities or just the people with the right last name becomes the question. And I, I have no problem. I want to, I want to be clear. I have no problem with you doing everything you can to make sure your children are successful, right? Like you work very hard, do what you can to help out your kids. But you couldn't get someone you know to give them a job, right? Because my like the the thing and and it, this happened in in Hollywood, right? Like Judd Apatow's kids or whoever were all saying, "Well, once you get the opportunities, you have to do something with them, right? You still have to be good once you're there. You may have gotten opportunities because of your last name, but you have to be good. That's fine as long as your dad isn't your actual boss." Right, if I'm Brian Dable and my son wants to go into coaching, I'm saying, you know what? I've coached with Bill Belichick, or I've coached with this guy, or I've coached with that guy, or I've coached with this college coach. Let me give them a call and see if they have anything, and I'm helping you get a job because you're Brian Dable. You're the coach of the year. You're, you have some power. You have some powerful friends. Call in a favor. And that way, once they get there, they do have to thrive or fail on their own abilities and their own uh, production. The problem is when you're working on your dad's staff, if you stink, he's not going to fire you. He's not going to take responsibilities off your plate and put them on someone else's plate because you're his son. And do you know how I know that Brian Dable knows this is kind of on the edge? They didn't announce nothing. There's no press release. There was no tweet. There's no, hey, I'm so happy to have my son on the staff. There was no, not even that thing where like when your mom is your teacher, your dad is your teacher, and you don't call them mom or dad in public because you don't want the other kids to think of it. So you just go, Mrs. Donnelly. My mom was a substitute teacher in my class a few times. I just said mom. But others would say Mrs. Donnelly, or, or right? He didn't even do that thing where he's like, well, Coach Dable is a proud addition to the staff here under myself, Coach Dable. Like, he didn't even do that. They just slyly updated the team website, and suddenly there's a new offensive assistant who's his son. So you know what is going on. He was a student assistant at Penn State. I'm not saying that's that's not impressive. Probably very impressive. As far as student assistantships go, probably one of the best, right? It's Penn State. But let me let me throw this at you, Dable. Whichever one wants to field the question, older or younger, big or little. Uh, imagine if it's your senior year, okay? You were a student assistant at Penn State for three and a half years. Imagine you have been there, you've been grinding, and, and it appears as if it's your turn to take over signal caller. That's the thing that they keep saying, right? Every, all of the, the bios say he signaled in the plays for the offense on Penn State. 
So it's your turn to step in and signal in the plays. You've waited your time. You've bided your time. You've worked hard. You've woken up for two-a-days. You've gone to all of the film sessions. The students that didn't have a car that needed to be to and from the training room, you were the one picking them up and driving them. You were, during seven-on-seven, the center that snapped the ball underhand for two whole summers. And then James Franklin's nephew came in and took the signal caller job. How would you feel about that? Oh, well, when you put it like that, yeah, I'm putting it like that. What do you think the chances are that he was the best and most qualified person for that job? Because that's, that's the true test, right? The best and most qualified person should get every job. What are the chances he was the best and most qualified person as somebody with no experience even being a GA? Probably not great, right? And by the way, you're setting up the 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 coach, meaning the assistant coach, your son, to be looked at harshly. You have to go pay your dues, essentially, so everybody can can appreciate that you paid your dues. It's a badge of honor in the coaching world. Go be some D3 position coach. Not saying there's anything wrong with being a D3 position coach, but when you get to the the higher levels, there are going to be people with stories to tell, and you're not going to have any to tell. They're going to be sitting around going, oh, gosh, I recruited this kid. I had to drive six hours in my coach's uh, borrowed Hyundai, and it broke down. And, oh, man, me, and it was just the linebacker's coach who, uh, oh, gosh, this guy was. And your stories are going to be, yeah, well, I called plays at Penn State, and then I was on the the Giants coaching staff. I mean, occasionally I got caught in traffic in the city, right? All of the team issued polos, dry fit. I mean, they didn't always fit. Sometimes they were too big. It's not the same guy. You're robbing him of an experience. Or at least make him go coach for another NFL team where he doesn't have his dad looking over his shoulder, making sure everything's okay. End rant. Tim Donnelly Show, Priority Auto Sports Radio, 94.1. Get your calls and texts in, 757-687-9494. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, Tiger Woods played golf today, and we are flirting with the cut line, everybody. He may or may not be playing the weekend at this point. It is touch and go. Stick around. Tim Donnelly is talking about Tiger Woods right now on Priority Auto Sports Radio, 94.1. Tim Donnelly Show, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. Before we get to Tiger, it seems like everyone on Twitter is just accepting that Eric Bieniemy is going to be the offensive coordinator of, of Washington. I've noticed that. It, it seems everyone's like, oh, it's official. Oh, it's happening. And, and they Done. Are, they are crediting Rappaport and Schefter with the report. We read the tweets. Ian Rappaport said it should be finalized tomorrow, Bieniemy to, to Washington, which should be, is not, is. <laughs> And and Schefter said that they're hoping to finalize tomorrow. Hoping to is not is finalized. So, I mean, we're probably stuck in a semantics battle, and it probably will happen. But everyone on Twitter is saying, like, it's there, it's done. Well, you know, we've seen, you know, like, uh, what was it? McDaniels was the coach of the Colts there for, like, two days, and then suddenly he wasn't. And, and 
that was much more firm and definitive than anything I've seen involving uh, Biennemi to, to Washington. But again, it probably will happen. Eric Biennemi, probably the offensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders. But, uh, you know, I, we've all been burned by probably's in the past. Probably Tiger Woods is going to make the cut, at least according to Data Golf. Now, uh, if, first of all, let's just get this out of the way. If you didn't love yesterday's last three holes for Tiger Woods, if you didn't love watching, and or, or even if you didn't watch it, if you just heard about Tiger Woods going birdie, birdie, birdie on his final three holes to jump from way back to top 26, you don't want joy in your life. If you didn't get jacked up by if a little part of you didn't get excited, you are anti-fun. Because that place was electric. Rory was playing well. JT, who was in the group, was was finishing with a flurry. Tiger was was sneaking smiles with the crowd. Here he is talking about the fans cheering him on during tournaments. It was a, a lot louder than I had than I have. I played in a tournament a long time because I haven't played in any, any tournaments. I was trying to calm my my. I didn't really look up as much. I'm, I'm pro- I probably should have, but I I didn't. I was trying to calm myself down all day, trying to figure out you know what the hell I'm doing out here because I haven't played. Uh, I I had to try and figure out what the, what the chess match is going to be. You know, you know misses angles. You know, wind, you know, these are all things that have come second nature to a lot of these guys. I haven't really done this in a while. So, yeah, I was I was more so focused on what I was trying to do, talking to Joey, trying to figure it all out. So, you know, I, I probably should have appreciated the fans more than I did. But there was so much going on in my head. Think about that. Tiger Woods, since he was 16 years old, has played in front of massive crowds. And he's played golf probably every day that he's been able to his entire life. And he's up there going, I haven't done this in a while. That's wild. And he's in line as of right now, according to data golf to make the cut. Okay. Now, again, let me explain what that means. Uh, they cut to top 60 in ties, I believe is what it is. Um, you have to be a top 60 or tied for to make the weekend. He at the moment is one stroke off, but Data Golf, which is an analytics golf website, is predicting that enough players will play poorly enough that the number will move back to where he is and he'll get to play the weekend. So according to PGATour.com, the official leaderboard, the projected cut line right now is plus one. Okay, so it's moved back. Now you just need players not to play super, super well down the stretch and have it go low. Um, The craziest part about this, okay, he's hitting it well. His, this guy... Right, the car accident, the ankle reconstruction, he's got bolts, he's got screws, he's got plates down there, his knee is a problem, his back is fused together. He's hitting it further and with more club speed than the average PGA Tour pro. He is a and he's 47. Like you wouldn't even expect a 47-year-old that's been healthy the whole time to be above tour average in length off the tee, club speed, ball speed, all those types of things. But he is. On top of that, his mas- mastery of the irons is still coming through. His approach shots have been banana sandwich today. He's been setting himself up with birdie putt after birdie putt after birdie putt all day. So the parts of his game that you'd be worried about with the ankle are not the parts of his game that are holding him up. He can't putt to save anything right now. This guy's out there putt with. You guys don't know this little inside radio. Every morning, 
Robbie, myself, and a couple of the guys from promotions here in the office have a putting contest. We have a little putting green here in the studio. It started off with like just putting in here. Uh, now we're putting down the hall. We're putting in the kitchen. We're putting downstairs. We do it every single day. I'm not sure Tiger would win our competition the way he's putting right now. We just do one putt closest to the pin. It's it's very simple. I think I think he's finishing. And and ironically, we have a scoreboard here. We only put tallies on if you win or finish last. That's it. You get a pen tally if you you win. You get a highlighter tally if you lose. I think Tiger would have a couple highlighter tallies. And we're nothing to write home about. We are not tremendous putters. He can hit the heck out of it. He can't putt to save anything. That is the reverse of what I would have I would have expected because like what do you do when you're rehabbing an ankle? Probably putting green, right? Probably why not? He's actually putting together and they're all over Florida. Uh like his Tiger TGR whatever productions is putting together real grass putting like mini putt. So they're like real greens with wild hills and and obstacles and stuff, but it's it's 18 holes of mini putt that's just putting. I would have expected him to be doing that left and right. Can't really swing a club when you're rehabbing, but but you can putt. I thought his putting would be perfect. Nope. I mean, we're talking somebody else will be just outside of him on the same line. He They'll putt and show him the way, and then he'll just be like two feet to the right. And I'm being, I'm exaggerating, but only a little bit. Now, that's extremely frustrating because you're saying, I don't know how many weeks we have left of Tiger striking the ball as well as he's striking the ball right now, and I don't want him to waste one of those weeks because the guy can't putt. But part of me also says this is better than the reverse. right? If he was out there not able to get the club speed up, if he was out there spraying irons all over the place, part of me would be going, "Uh uh-oh. I don't know if he's going to get it back. Even if he was putting well once he got on the green, I'd still be saying... The ankle is, the ankle's holding back his swing. So this tells me, like, I'm confident he can work to get the putting better. We just need him to keep up what he's doing everywhere else. Also, and this is this is the, I'm going to put on a tinfoil hat, a little conspiracy theory here. I'm pretty sure someone kicked his ball for him. I was talking about this with Robbie earlier. Uh, I I had it on. It's actually a, a similar, thank you, a similar situation is happening right now with Max Homa, only he's not going to get the benefit. Uh, he hit it way right, Tiger did. Off the tee, way right, right, pointing, yelling for, doing all that sort of stuff. They showed the ball go over the ropes into the, the trees where the people were standing. And I was like, oh, geez, this is ridiculous. This is such a bad shot. What is he doing? And I looked away and I went back to doing my work, show prep, show prep, show prep. And then I looked back for his second shot. It was like two yards off the fairway. And I went, wait, wait, wait a minute. Did someone kick it? And then I asked Robbie. He didn't know. He had the same bewilderment I had. So I texted a buddy who I know, even though he has a a day job, I know he was watching every shot. I texted him. I said, "Did, did someone kick it? How did it end up there? He said, oh, no, it hit a tree and ricocheted perfectly. I don't know about that one. I'm thinking somebody caught it. Give a little assist. Ready for this deep? You ready for a deep, deep, deep movie reference cut here? You ever seen Welcome to Mooseport? No. Okay. It's a Ray Romano, Gene Hackman movie. Gene Hackman plays a former president and he has the secret service. And uh, 
unbeknownst to him, the Secret Service lines every hole that he's playing because he's a former president of security. Every time he hits it into the woods, they throw it back in. And uh, then he gets into a, a gambling situation where he's playing golf and, and uh, the former first lady, because she's his ex, pops out and says, well, all the, the Secret Service get to where we can see them. And he hits it into the woods and you, you see him just going, wait for the kick, wait for the kick. Because according to him, right, he doesn't know any different. Every time he hits it into the woods, it kicks out. And then because they're, they're where they can see him, they can't throw it back and he doesn't get the kick. I feel like Tiger would be a little bit like that. He hits it into a crowd. He's just like, wait for the kick. Because there's somebody that's wearing like a red Nike shirt and a black Nike hat walking around with old Nike clubs. He's going to pick it up and throw it in. And if they're ever on a hole where there's nobody, it's like, wait for it. And it just doesn't happen. Either way, I'm hoping that the cut line stays at, at plus one because then we'll get to see him play the weekend. And that's always fun. And if it's not fun for you, you don't want joy in your life. Tim Donnelly Show, Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. I guarantee you the only show in the entire world giving you a welcome to Mooseport movie reference today, Friday, February the 17th. That's a guarantee. That's okay. Uh, thank you. Get your text in now, 757-687-9494, because when we come back, we're going to read your texts and ask, does that do anything for you? Stick around. All day, you've been texting the Tim Donnelly Show at 757-687-9494. Now it's time to read those texts and ask, does that do anything for you? On Priority Auto Sports Radio 94.1. That's right. Does that do anything for you? Brought to you by Newport News Shipbuilding, a division of HII. Tim, we talked a lot today about Eric Bieniemy and, and the potential that he's going to be the next offensive coordinator. Obviously, more information has come out since we talked about it to start off the show. And from K-Dub, he says it's a no-brainer for the commanders who, you know, it just so happens that Eric Bieniemy's contract is up and, and the commanders obviously need an offensive coordinator. Very fortunate for Washington. And by the way, it is much more official as of now than it was even a couple moments ago. Uh, Scott Abraham, friend of the show, 7 News up there in, in D.C. Uh, he can confirm that Eric Bieniemy and the team have reached an agreement in principle. The two sides are finalizing the deal tonight. So Schefter, as well as, as Rappaport said it was expected or hoped to or should be finalized tomorrow. Uh, looks like once the news got out, they said, ah, let's just do it tonight. Let's 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 burn the midnight oil a little bit, get this thing hammered out. Uh, they're expecting a press conference late next week. Um, that's that's big. That's that's big. Um, it's big for Sam Howell if he ends up being the guy. It's big for Ron Rivera. It's that's a very, very interesting hire that I did not think was in the cards for Washington. But obviously, a lot of things kind of broke their way. As somebody that's a Giants fan, I don't like that hire at all. <laughs> Absolutely hate it. Uh, I mean, it all comes down to if 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 Sam Howell doesn't play well enough or if somebody doesn't, it'll be a better situation, but still not. Um, but it's, it's interesting nonetheless. That is a hire that I did not see coming. From the 757 also, don't forget Biennemi was the running backs coach in Minnesota with uh, Adrian Peterson and also in KC with Jamal Charles, and those guys had pretty good careers. So what are you saying? Antonio Gibson and Brian Robinson are about to be the new Thunder and Lightning? They're about to be 1,000 yards each? Or is one of them going to be 2,000 yards? You tell me. Uh, I, I mean, 
there's maybe we lean on the, we meaning when you hire Eric Bieniemy, you might be thinking maybe we hang on the, the running game a little bit more here, which is strange taking the guy from the Chiefs. But hey, he's got a history on on both. From Ryan in the 757, we were talking about Coach uh, Brian Dable earlier. He said Dougie P, Doug Peterson, must have needed to win 17 games to get Coach of the Year. I love Dable, but don't see how what he did was more impressive than what the Jags did. We've had this conversation, but I'll give it to you again, uh, uh, Ryan. Um, here's the <laughs> I think if you were to give the Jacksonville Jaguars coach or something involved with the Jacksonville Jaguars the Coach of the Year award, you'd give it to the absence of Urban Meyer. I think Doug Peterson's credit was taken away because it felt like just removing Urban Meyer was part of the reason for the dramatic upgrade. It, it, it was, you know, right? The, all of those coach of the years and everything, there's a narrative to them. You have to be able to explain or captivate the voter. And the, the, the Jags just had so much of their credit go to, how bad was that last guy? Uh which is probably not fair to Dougie P, but uh, as you call him in the text, uh, but Peterson will be all right. He's got a Super Bowl ring. He can he can cry himself too. From Ollie in the seven five seven, what's the best landing spot for Jalen Ramsey if he in fact is traded? The best landing, like if we could just pick any, yeah. Um, shh, the, the Jets, because then he could be opposite Sauce Gardner and get the number two all the time. Uh, that is that is uh. Yeah, that would that would be the I mean, go to the place that you think the best other corner is, right? If you're if you're a corner, corner is actually one of the few positions you want to play with somebody that's better than you at that position. Right? You never hear a running back go like, "You know where I want to play? Behind Christian McCaffrey." But but when there's two of them that play, if you're at like wide receiver is kind of similar as well, except there's only so many targets to go around. Um if you play with the best lockdown corner in the league, then you're just you're matched up against number twos, which is easier for you. So, uh, pick your favorite best corner in the league. That's where Jalen Ramsey would want to go. We talk about the uh, the the kind of nepotism from Brian Dable from the seven five seven. The same logic applies to Steve Belichick, and they had Matt Patricia calling the offensive plays, and while Steve was calling the defense, it just didn't sit right with this texter. And there's on this show and others that I've hosted. There's there's been some. Uh, some words for the Belichicks protecting the Belichicks. Uh, again, I think at this point, Steve Belichick especially, he's been a high-level assistant on some very good defenses. Go somewhere else. Cash in that leverage to take a job with another another team and and get out from under your dad's shadow a bit. Um, that's that's where I look at it. But at the same time, probably good job security. And and that's probably why they haven't left. But, but there's two of them, I think, on the, the two Belichicks three if you include bill on that coaching staff um i yes i i i agree i see the similarities from the four three four we were talking about nicole Jokic, and, and you were comparing him to a russell westbrook they're winning regular season games the the nuggets are westbrook did not they're a top team in the west the nuggets are westbrook was around the eight to ten spot every year fair point fair point it's just they're, they're the rest of their rosters are not exactly stat hogs is what I'm getting at there. So they have the ability to pad their stats because there's there's not a ton of competition for it. Um, the West has been very uh, temperamental this year. Uh, so they're they're at the top. But I mean, if you if you compare the West now to the West when Westbrook was fighting the fight, not the same beast. 
cyclical. All that kind of stuff is cyclical. And Tim, Max McClung did sign a 10-day contract with Philly. They did bring him up right before the All-Star break. I don't nah, know if it has fake. anything to do with, with the, the slam dunk contest, but it looks like they are going to try to kind of work him in there at some point afterwards. If, if I were a G League player and I wanted to get a 10-day contract in the NBA, Learn how to dunk? I would do everything I possibly could to get in the dunk contest because then they're going to make that team sign you to a 10-day just so it, they have a picture of you in an NBA uniform to use when they put up the scores, right? They don't want you to be in a, a Delaware 87ers jersey or a uh, Raptors 805 or whatever. They, they get the, the names down there are ridiculous. Uh, the, are, do they still have the, like the Mad Ants? There was a Mad Ants for a while. I think so. Um, yeah, they didn't. He's not really on a 10-day for the Sixers. That, that's the NBA. They just don't want him to not be on a 10-day when he's in the dunk contest. Uh, Tim Donnelly Show coming to a close here. Thank you to Robbie as always. Uh, thank you to everybody that called and texted in. Our top shot, you know, I think it's got to be. I think it's got to be Mac McClung. He's a Virginia guy. It's not his fault they're putting him in the dunk contest. I don't think he should be in the dunk contest, but it's not like I don't expect him to like that's when a referee makes a bad call in your favor. I don't expect you to go. No, actually, I did foul him. Like it's not his fault. If you want to be a top shot, check out Freedom Shooting Center, the premier shooting range and gun store in Hampton Roads. He better do two dunks I've never seen before. He said he has two dunks that have never been done in competition. If he doesn't do that, I'm retroactively taking away this top shot. I want two dunks that I've never seen before. Most importantly, thank you to Larry King Law. If you're ever injured in an accident, give him a call. 757-INJ-U-R-E-D. That's 757-INJ-U-R-E-D. The 757 at 6 is coming up next. Stick around for that. Everybody else, have a great weekend.